I kind of left in a cliffhanger and everybody was like, not everybody, several people come up to me and said, Kara, where's the second part, the second part? So I get to share the second part today. If you, if you didn't hear that message, I just want to really encourage you to go um, listen to that. Israel, what is the big deal? It is so important that you understand God's heart, the history Israel is a very big deal. It's not just Old Testament, it's New Testament. God made covenant with Israel. There's prophetic promises for Israel. It's not just a people, but it's a land that Jesus is coming back to rule and reign on. And we have been grafted into this beautiful family of Israel. And because of everything that is going on, we need to be on the same page with God. We have to love what God loves, and we have to hate what God hates, and that's very, very important. So we're going to be talking about end times, and this is such a vast subject, and um, James totally called me out. I grew up in a home that we talked about end times all the time, and this is because when my dad was eight years old, he went to go see Dr. Dake. I don't know if anybody knows Dr. Dake. He is a phenomenal scholar. He wrote a book, The Dake Bible. And he had such revelation of end times. And my dad said he was eight years old and he went with his aunt. And uh, Dr. Dake spoke for like two and a half hours. And my dad said it felt like two minutes because of the revelation. And something was deposited in my dad and now deposited in us kids. And so we're a home that talks about end times, rapture, antichrist. That's normal conversation in our home. Israel. So this is normal conversation in this church. If you're new, we talk about end times. We talk about what's happening because God knows exactly what's happening. He is the author. He has a plan, and he doesn't want us to be in the dark. There's a lot of people who are like, ah, it'll all pan out. It's going to be good. It's true. It's going to all pan out. It's going to be good for us, but... 30% of the Bible is prophetic, 30%. Most of that is about the end times. So if Jesus spent so much time to tell us, I think it's a big deal to him. And if it's a big deal, there's something that he wants us to know. And I think the number one reason, because he says over and over, because I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to be alarmed. I don't want you to be caught off guard. Like, listen, look at my plan. You're good. Fear not. Be courageous. So when the world is going to pot, when the world is in chaos, we have the word of God. We know what God is doing. And so... Do we have to be an expert? No. But it is good that you kind of know a little bit. And because it's such a vast subject, I gave you homework. I love homework. I'm a teacher. So you get to go and really study it for yourself. Don't just take what I say. Never. You go into your word and allow the Holy Spirit to teach you. You're going to receive revelation that I don't have. I loved what this one pastor said. He said, the end times, everybody has a part of it in a revelation, and it takes the whole body to get the fullness of what it looks like. 
And there's a lot of mystery still with prophetic. You know, um, 1 Corinthians 13, 9 says, we know in part and we prophesy in part, right? So if anybody is so confident they have it, they know it, and they teach it like it's immovable, mm, that's not even biblical. So we hold ourselves like a child, right? Childlike faith. This is what the Lord is saying. This is what he's speaking to me. But our heart is open for fresh revelation, new revelation. And we come together and talk about it. And um, also, when we hear prophetic, there's pieces of it. And I want to give an example before I start. There was a lot of prophetic words about Jesus coming the first time as the sacrificial lamb. Many, many prophetic words. And different prophets had a piece of it. So one prophet prophesied, um, he will be born in Bethlehem. And then another prophet, there was another prophetic word that said, he's going to be a Nazarene um, out of Nazareth. Okay, that's totally different. So you would think that it's different, right? Then there's a prophecy, he will come out of Egypt. Well, which one is it? Is he Egyptian? Is he a Nazarite? Is he, you know, is he from Bethlehem? Well, it's all three, but the timing. And so there's different things I'm going to talk about. Every event is true and going to happen. We're not sure of the timing. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in um, Nazareth. But when he was two years old, he was taken to Egypt to flee for their life and then brought back. So you see how the prophetic, we know in part, but then it's pieces together. Okay, so we're going to be talking about a lot of prophetic things. Do we know 100% no? There's a lot of mystery, and it's because we're going to be spirit-led when it happens. We have the Holy Spirit. God doesn't give us a book and instructions and say, see you later. He is living in us. God Almighty is in every single one of you. We have the wisdom, we have the knowledge, we have everything we need to live this life on earth. And I believe we're in the end times. As I taught two weeks ago, I believe end times started on May 14th, 1948, when Israel became a nation. That started the time clock. Nothing could happen until Israel was in place because so much of the end times is going to happen in Israel. And if you, uh, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but end time started. And I think we are living in the most exciting days. God is going to use us for the supernatural like we have never seen because there's going to be so much demonic supernatural. The church is going to counteract that. And he's going to use every single one of us. Every single one of us, it's not somebody with a title. It's not somebody with a microphone. Your job is more important than my job. You are in the world. You are amongst those that are, are dying and need to be saved. And your life is so important. And what the enemy wants us to do is get all wrapped up in ourselves, to get offended, to get hurt, to get scared, to get wounded, so that we cannot be light. And it is time that God is going to heal us and prepare us for the greatest move of God. And you have to believe it. We're going to see so many people coming to the Lord. People we've been praying, praying for, praying for coming to the Lord. So it's exciting. Get excited. The world needs us. Amen. Okay.
So here we go. You have your handout. If the handout is distracting to you, just listen. Sometimes that's more distracting, but you can take it home. Um, I'm going to have a graph come up to kind of do, um, I'm going to give my opinion, and I'm going to share other different theological opinions, because we really don't know. Um, so the rebirth of the nation of Israel happened May 14th, 1948, and that was supernatural. There's never been a nation that has disappeared and come back, and Israel has done it twice. Twice. And it was prophesied about the prophetic words. In Isaiah, it says, can a nation be birthed in a day? And Israel was birthed in a day. And the story of that is incredible. So you can listen to that teaching because I can just go on a rabbit trail of that. Okay, the first thing that I believe that's going to happen is the rapture. I'm going to tell you other beliefs, but I believe the rapture is the next thing that is going to happen. And when it comes to the rapture of the church, there is nothing that needs to be filled prophetically for that to happen. It's imminent. It can happen any moment. I think there's going to be a big revival first, but that revival could be after the church is taken away. So if you open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, Christ comes in the clouds to snatch away those who trust in him. There's several scriptures about it. I'm going to read uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 52, if you're with me. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, and we will be changed and transformed immediately. And we're caught up in the clouds with the Lord. Um, if you turn with me also to 1 Thessalonians First Thessalonians 4, and um, that is not 4, 7, it's 4, 17. I'm actually going to start with verse 16. It says, and the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a shout command, a voice of the archangel with a blast trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and who are remaining on earth will also be caught up. And that word is where we get rapture. Rapture is actually not in the Bible. It's harpazo, which means caught up or raptured instantly in a moment, like 1 Corinthians said, in twinkling of an eye, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will always be with the Lord. And it says, therefore, encourage and comfort one another with these words, because our reunion together is coming soon. Okay, this is the rapture. Now, there's another sheet we're going to get to later, but... Um, there's two different events. There's an event where we are caught up with the Lord, and there's an event when Jesus comes back and he actually puts his feet on the ground. And this will be in Israel on the Mount of Olives. So there's two different events. I believe one is the rapture and one is the second coming of the Lord, and we'll talk about that. Okay, the second thing that's going to happen is the rise of the Antichrist. Have you heard about the Antichrist? Okay, after the church is taken out of the way, and I believe that we are the restrainer for the Antichrist. If you turn with me to 2 Thessalonians, go um, to, verse 
verse 7 and 8, it says, For the mystery of lawlessness. Now, the Antichrist is called um, the man of lawlessness or the Antichrist. There's actually several names for him throughout the Old Testament prophets. Um, Rebellion against divine authority is coming to reign of lawlessness. It is already at work. The Antichrist is already at work. We saw this. We saw a drastic change when Israel became a nation in the 60s and 70s, we saw such a, a switch of lawlessness in this nation. It's when Bibles were taken out of school. It's when uh, scripture was taken, prayer was taken out of school. I mean, um, the Obama administration pushing the homosexual agenda, the Biden administration sexualizing our kids. I mean, things we have, in 50 years ago, we never saw was not here. That antichrist, that lawlessness, that day you can be whatever you want to be. You can change your DNA. You're a girl, you want to be a boy? Yes. You're a boy, you want to be a girl? Yes. It's this lawlessness that we just give away to any whim or desire we have. It's saying, I make the law for me. What I say is true. What you say is true. And we all get to live our truth. But there's only one truth, and that's the word of God. And the problem with that is not like they're wrong and God is right. It's that people are hurting. When we don't do it God's way, people hurt. And, and non-believers say it's hate speech. It's love speech because we know what sin does. We know what it's like when we don't do it God's way and people are hurting. And if the church doesn't say truth, then who do they come to when they wanna get set free? If we say, no, that's fine, you can sin, you can live however you want and the grace covers it. Then there's something deep in them. They know something's not right, but they don't have anywhere to go. Because the church is like, sure, live how you want. Live how you want. Jude, um, there's only one book in Jude. It's a fascinating book. Put, write that down. Study Jude. I, I can't get to it today. But it's talking about people worm their way into the church and talk about the grace. And the grace gives us a license to sin and live however we want. Because of the blood of Jesus, we can just live however we want. We can be selfish. We can rebel against authority. Nobody has any room to speak into our life. People are offended. If somebody speaks truth, you're offended. You cut them off. And, and Jude is talking about this is not the grace of God. The grace of God allows us to live in holiness. We can't be holy or righteous without Jesus. We've tried, and it's dead works, and it's exhausting. But with the Holy Spirit, his righteousness lives in us. That sin is defeated. We don't have to be a slave to sin. Does this mean that we struggle sometimes? Yes, we can struggle with sin. But the problem is, is when we call sin good, when we start saying sin is not sin, we're in deep trouble. I did a message a couple years ago. You can look it up. It's sin is not a problem until we say sin is not a problem. Meaning, Jesus dealt with sin. He's not scared of our messes. There's grace for that. But when we start justifying our sin, when we start saying, you know what? Is that sin? Is that really bad? 
now we're calling sin good and justifying it. And where can grace go with that? Nowhere. Okay. So the Antichrist. Um, oh, Second Corinthians, Second Thessalonians uh, seven for the mystery of lawlessness. Okay. Um, is already at work. I went on a rabbit trail there. <laughs> the Antichrist spirit is already at work, but it is restrained. Only until he who now restrains it is taken out of the way. Then the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed. The Lord Jesus Christ will slay him with the breath of his mouth and bring him to the end of the appearance of his coming. Now, this is talking about the second coming. I already told you that we're snatched away. We just read we were snatched away in 1 Thessalonians. And now it's saying he's going to come back, his second coming, and we will be with him. And I'm going to get to that. The coming of the Antichrist, the lawless one, through the activity of Satan, attended great power, all kinds of counterfeit miracles, deceptions, signs, and false wonders. And by unlimited seduction of evil, with all the deception and wickedness for those who are perishing, because they did not welcome the love of truth to be saved. Did you know people are not dying because of sin? Jesus took care of sin. People are perishing because they're denying our Lord Jesus Christ and they do not love truth. They reject truth. Okay, so the Antichrist will be a man, but he'll, Satan himself is going to come into this man and do great signs and wonders. He's actually going to be, um, people are going to love him. I think he's going to be very charismatic. I think... Um, People are going to love him. It's going to be great deception. You know, the enemy comes as the angel of light. And he's going to be deceived. But you know what? You know who's not going to be deceived? Us. Because we have Holy Spirit in us. And we listen to the Holy Spirit. Okay. So he's going to gain worldwide power and control with promises of peace. This is Revelations 13, 1, Daniel 9, 27. And he'll be aided by another man called the false prophet who heads up a religious system that requires worship of the Antichrist. This is where the mark of the beast comes in and all kinds of things. Okay. The next thing that happens when the church is taken out of the way, this is when I believe the great tribulation starts. Or the tribulation starts. It's a period of seven years in which God's judgment is poured out on sinful humanity. This is Revelations chapter 6 to 16. Now, before tribulation, God writes letters to the church. First of all, Revelation starts out with God is, uh, Jesus is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. It talks about his sovereignty. It talks about how amazing he is. Um, then it goes into talking to the church. Church, get ready. And there's, all, there's seven letters to the church. And then after that, then it goes into the tribulation. I'm kind of just breaking down revelations for you. The Antichrist will rise to power associated with his time. During the tribulation on earth, I believe the church will be in heaven. It is thought at that time to be the judgment seat of Christ. And this is not the great white throne judgment. This is the judgment seat of Christ. This is where we receive our rewards. We are not judged. 
Jesus took our judgment. He gathers us together. We have a seven-year feast together, marriage supper of the Lamb, and he is giving us the rewards for how we lived our life on earth. There's many, many, many who've made great sacrifices, who've lived their life for the Lord, and he sees the smallest thing. And I want to tell you something. Those who we think are great might not be that great in heaven. Those who seem like quiet, they haven't done much, could be the greatest in heaven because it's a heart posture and affection for the Lord. It's not based on works. I mean, out of that love, we do great things, but sometimes we see these evangelists or these people that are just writing all of these books and doing these great things, but actually faithfulness is your time with the Lord, your relationship with the Lord. That's what he calls great. He actually says, those who obey my word is great. And each one of us have a personal relationship with the Lord, and we cannot compare ourselves. What we think is great in this world might not be great to the Lord. A lot of us do things the Lord hasn't even called us to do. Right? I don't know who we're trying to impress, but it's just listening to the voice of the Lord. I'm telling you, you want to be great? Love your spouse. Love your family. Love the Lord. Love the people of God. That's what God calls great is love, right? And out of that, I do want to do great works for the Lord. But the ones he called me to do, the ones he called you to do. Okay, so that's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. The marriage supper of the Lamb is Revelations 19, 6, and 7. I'm just going to turn there real quick. How's everybody doing? Are we okay? In uh, Revelations 19, verse 6, it said, Then I heard something like a shout, a vast multitude that looked like a boom, a pounding waves, and a roar of mighty pearls thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and shout for joy. Let's give him glory and honor, honor for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come. At last, and his bride has prepared herself, and she has been permitted to dress in fine linen, dazzling white and clean. Fine linen signifies the righteous acts of the saints, moral um, courage, godly character. And the angel Lord said, uh, then the angel Lord said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I think it's because we don't have to go through the tribulation. Blessed is the bride who prepares herself for the marriage supper of the Lamb. The tribulation is going to be the darkest, hardest time on earth. Another reason why I don't think we'll be here for the tribulation. Now, some people do. Some people believe. I'm going to tell you, uh, there's a lot of different things, but I think three of the main ones are, um, Let's can we get the graph back up, um, the chart? Some people believe that the rapture is imminent and it's going to happen and that we're restraining the Antichrist. And I believe that because I think we're the salt of the earth and we're preserving. But some people believe that um, the, the rapture of the church won't happen until mid-tribulation. We're going to be for the first part when the Antichrist is here. But when the Antichrist, um, he does something very significant. We'll talk about that after the three-and-a-half-year mark. Then it's called the Great Tribulation. That's when the church will be taken out. That could be too. 
I don't see it in scripture, but I don't know it fully. And then some people believe that actually the church is going to be here for the whole tribulation and uh, we will just be here for the second coming or the rapture comes right before the second coming. There is definitely two events. There is a rapture and there's a second coming. I'm not sure on uh, the belief of being here for the whole tribulation when those two events happen. Why do I believe it's before? Because I think that we are the restrainer and also because we're not destined for wrath. We have a lot of trouble on this earth. There's a lot of trials going on. But I don't believe it's God's wrath. I think it's man's wrath. I think it's the consequences of sin. I think we're in the um, this dispensation of grace. And I don't think God is pouring out his wrath. God is pouring out grace and mercy and doesn't want anyone to perish. But the tribulation is very clear that God is pouring out his wrath. And we are not destined to wrath. So turn with me to um, 1 Thessalonians 5. Back to 1 Thessalonians. Verse 9, it says, And God has not destined us to wrath. He does not select us to condemn us, but to um, gain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who willingly for us, so that we were awake or asleep when Christ appearing, will be gathered with Him, um, sharing in life. So, courage and comfort one another, build each other up, just as you're doing. So, He's talking about the day of the Lord, and He's telling them, Be encouraged. Like, He's talking about the hard things of the tribulation, and Paul is saying, Be encouraged. Because we're not destined to wrath. This is not for us. God is coming for us and delivering us up unto him. And there's a marriage feast that will be going on. Do you know that Jewish weddings are seven days long? And the tribulation is seven years. You know, God is a God of numbers. He loves numbers. He, he speaks through all kinds of things. And so we're going to be feasting with the Lord. That is my belief. Let me just say this disclaimer. If we are going to be here during the tribulation, we don't have to fear anything. God will always protect us. He's always with us. And if we know how loved we are, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter because God knows best and he's with us. Amen? Okay. So, number four, the battle of Gog and Magog. Has anybody been hearing about this a lot with this war in Israel? A lot of people believe this is already starting, um, starting, like this could be the beginning of it. The first part of the tribulation, there's a great army from the north in alliance with several other countries from Middle East and Africa attacking Israel and defeated by God's supernatural intervention. This is in um, Ezekiel 38 and 39. Actually, I think it kind of starts in uh, chapter 36. So you can read 36, 37, 38, 39. Listen, read this. Go study this. It is good to know and see what the Holy Spirit tells you. Now, there's two wars. There's the, the Battle of Armageddon and there's the Gog and Magog War. Some people say also Psalms 83 war. I believe somewhere in this war is when the Antichrist is going to rise up. Because the Antichrist is going to bring a false peace. There's going to be chaos. 
He's going to rise up. People are going to love him. And he's going to do this peace treaty. And he's going to allow the Jewish people to rebuild their temple. So they're going to love him. He's going to be for Israel. He's going to get rid of the enemies of Israel. But it's because Satan wants to be worshipped. So he doesn't even like the Muslims because they worship Allah. He doesn't want the churches out of the way. He's going to get the Muslims out of the way. He's going to get any other religion out of the way. And he's going to allow the Jewish people for three and a half years to build this temple. And after three and a half years, he's going to go in himself and say, I am God, worship me. And the Jewish people are going to rend their garments and see that they have been so deceived. And many are going to turn to the Lord. And this is when the great tribulation starts. And this is where the mark of the beast, if you don't get the mark of the beast, if you don't bow down to me, you will be martyred. And there's going to be so many people that we've told about the Lord or fallen away from the Lord that is going to be there during the tribulation. And they're going to be radical for God and they're going to be martyrs for God. And Revelation talks about how the martyrs come up during the marriage supper of the Lamb. They come up with the white robes and we celebrate them for enduring that time and standing for truth. It's going to be a lot harder on the tribulation. I know, I know it's a little difficult now, but it's nothing like the tribulation. We have no idea what persecution is like, right? Somebody doesn't like you on social media. That's our form of persecution, right? <laughs> like in China, they're being dragged off to jail. Um, if I want to recommend a book. It's just life-changing. Um, the Heavenly Man. Has anybody heard of The Heavenly Man? It's about a man who lived in China and what he's been through. It's such a good book. And I think us as the American church have no idea what sacrifice is. And I'm not minimizing anything you've been through. I know there's great sacrifice. I think forgiving somebody who doesn't deserve to be forgiven is a sacrifice to my pride. <laughs> I mean, he, God calls us to do the hard things, right? But come on, we don't even know what true persecution is. Um, okay, so the battle of Gog and Magog. Um, so three and a half years into the tribulation is called the abomination of desolation. Has anybody heard about that? Daniel 12, 11, Mark 13, 14, and Revelation 12, 17. Midway point, the seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist breaks the covenant of Israel. Jews are scattered, and many of them turn to the Lord, realizing that Jesus is their Savior. Great persecution breaks out against all who believe in Christ. I have a graph I want to show of um, the abomination of desolation. This is so much about that, all in the scriptures, talking about this one event and what happens, um, which is the Antichrist. So I'm not going to go through that. We can make copies and put that in the, um, if you like to study and you want that, we can make it available in the bookstore or online. Okay. Then the battle of Armageddon. So th another three and a half years of the tribulation. And then it says that all the nations of the earth is going to come against Israel. All of them. The Gog and Magog war is only a few. It's the ones of the north. And it's several, and God comes supernaturally. But now all of the earth is against Israel. You know, the enemy has hated Israel from day one because of the prophetic promise 
and because of the Lord Jesus Christ who's coming again to rule and reign. It's not just symbolic. It's literal. It's a people and it's a land. That is why they're fighting for the land. It's about the land. And um, God is going to come, the battle of Armageddon, and for the second coming of Christ, it says that we are with him. And we are all riding horses with the Lord. Don't worry, you'll know how to ride (laughs) if you've never ridden before. After we eat together with Jesus for seven years, we're reunited with those who've gone before us, those we've lost. Do you know for them it's going to be a moment? For us it feels like a long time, but we get to be with our loved ones. This means more to me than ever losing my father-in-law two weeks ago. That was hard. But we have such a blessed hope. And he's just getting the party started for us. And many of you know him, and you know he is. He's having just the best time, and we're going to eat together and feast, and then we're going to come and annihilate Satan. We're going to, like, we're all warriors. He, supernatural. We get our new bodies, and we're going to be warriors. It's, it's exciting. It's going to be so exciting. Okay, so the end of the tribulation, the armies of heaven and us, this is Mark 14, 62, he comes and saves Jerusalem from um, annihilation, defeats the armies of the nation, fighting under the banner of the Antichrist. Turn with me to Revelations 19. Do you guys see why I gave you these handouts? Because we're talking about a lot of things. Each one of these things I could spend a whole 30 minutes on or an hour. Um, Okay, in Revelations 19, verse 11, and I saw heavens open, and behold, a white horse, and he who is riding on it is called Faithful and True, trustworthy, loyal, incorruptible, and steady, and in his righteousness he judges and wages war on the rebellious nations. His eyes are a flame of fire, and his head is royal crowns, and it's scripted on him, which no one knows or understands except him. He is dressed in the robe dipped in blood, and the name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, dressed in fine linen, dazzling white and clean, follow him on horses. Now, why do I not think this is just angels? I do think all the hosts of uh, armies are coming, because we just read just a couple verses up, The marriage supper of lamb, in verse 8, it says, she's been permitted to be dressed in fine linen, dazzling white and clean. And then it describes the armies of heaven dressed in fine linen, dazzling white and clean, followed him on horses. The Antichrist and the false prophet are captured and they're thrown into the lake of fire. Revelations 19.20. Okay, number seven, the judgment of nations. Christ will judge the survivors of the tribulation, separating the righteous from the wicked as sheep and goats. This is Matthew 25, 31 through 46. The righteous will enter the millennial kingdom, and the wicked will be cast to hell. The binding of Satan. Satan will be bound and held in a bottomless pit for the next thousand years. This is fascinating. This is Revelations 20. Um, verse 1 through 3, Then I saw an angel descending from heaven, holding the keys of the abyss, the bottomless uh, pit, 
and a great chain in his hands, and he overpowered and laid hold the dragon, the old serpent, the devil Satan, bound him for a thousand years. Okay, so for a thousand years, it's called the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he does is come and establish government in Israel. And we are with him and we're ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ for a thousand years. It's called the millennial reign uh, kingdom. Jesus himself will rule. Jerusalem will be the capital. Do you see why Israel is so important? It will be a thousand-year period of peace and prosperity on earth. Satan will be bound. Can you imagine a world without the enemy? And Jesus Christ, not just in us, but with us face to face. The glory of the Lord will be everywhere. It talks a lot about it in, in um, Isaiah chapter 60 to 62. It's beautiful. It says rivers of flowing of healing. People need healing. You just get in this river and heal. And Revelations 20, like it is going to be so amazing. And after a thousand years, like everybody is going to know the Lord and get to come to know the Lord. It's just, it's going to be like the Garden of Eden. What is so interesting to me is after a thousand years, Satan is released again. And the Bible says that when he's released, after a thousand years, you're talking about generation after generation of knowing the Lord. He comes and deceives many. How is that possible? I do not understand how you can be face-to-face -face with God, feeling his goodness, healing, like life is perfect, and choosing to go with the enemy again. Deception can be so great. All the enemy can do is lie to us. He has no authority or power. But if we believe the lie, we are captive to him. Okay, so then there's the last battle. At the end of a thousand years, Satan will be released from his prison for a short time. He'll deceive the nations once again, and there will be a rebellion against the Lord that will be quickly defeated. This is Revelations 20, 7 through 10. And Satan will be cast in a lake of fire to never appear again. The great white throne, all who are in hell be brought forth, and the wicked from all the errors of history will be resurrected to stand before God in the final judgment. This is Revelations 20, 11 through 15. And the verdicts are read, and all of sinful humanity is cast in a lake of fire. Every single person will have an opportunity to know the Lord. And because love is choice, people get to choose. I wish, I wish love wasn't a choice and God just saved all. But true love is a choice because God loves us so much. He won't control and he won't manipulate. He lets every single person choose for themselves. But it's our job to represent God well. And that's not with shame and condemnation and telling them they're wrong. That's living out the love of God that people see our lives and say, I want what you have. You have peace. You have joy. Your family looks like they have it together. <laughs> yeah, most days. <laughs> in the new creation, God completely remakes the heaven and earth. That word, like a lot of people believe that the earth will actually never go away. He's going to refinish the earth. 
Because another scripture says that the earth will never go away, but God is going to renew the earth, restore the earth. So anybody who's worried about global warming, don't you worry. God has it. I was reading an article of young people who don't want to have kids because they don't want to raise kids in an earth that is about to blow up. I'm thinking, they, they don't know the word. Have kids. Um, okay, so I'm going to end with this. Oh, God completely remakes the heaven and the earth. Let me finish this. At that time, God wipes away all the tears. There's no more pain, death, or sorrow. And new Jerusalem is ascended from heaven, and the children of God will enjoy eternity with him. This is Revelations 21 and 22. Those are powerful chapters in Revelation. It is so exciting. I know for young people... The thought of rapture is like, no, I want to live my life. I haven't done everything I want to do. And I get it because my dad talked about it all the time. I'm like, I want to be married. I want to try this. I want to do that. But I promise you, one moment in God's presence face to face, it is the best day ever. (laughs) Like, we will not be missing out on anything. We will be living our best life, our fullest life when he comes back. Okay. I have just a few minutes, and I want to close with this because I talked about a lot of things, and that was so very good. But I want to end with what is our part, and why do I talk about this, and why is this so important? Um, In Luke 17, it describes the end times. Matthew 24 does too. But in Luke 17, it talks about the day of the Lord, the rapture happens, The earth will look like the days of Noah. Um, Just a little side note. I'm just going to put it out there. In Genesis 6.11, it talks about there was wickedness on the earth. That word wickedness is the Hebrew word hamas. Go study that out. Wickedness on the earth, but they were doing business as usual. Buying and selling, partying, it'll be like the days of Noah. The days of Noah was um, people lawless, doing what they want, no fear of the Lord. Also, um, in Luke 17, it describes that when the rapture happens, the earth will be like the days of Lot. And if you don't know, Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah where there was so much sexual perversion in the land. Do you remember that? And it says, you know, but they were still marrying and doing business and and all of this. In both of those instances, in the days of Noah, the flood did not happen until Noah was taken out. That's another reason why I believe we'll be raptured out. In the days of Lot... Fire and judgment did not come down until Lot was taken out. So I believe those are two other examples of why I think we'll be raptured out. Now, honestly, I mean, I want to be raptured out, but if God wants to use us during the tribulation, great too. I trust God, and he'll be with us. Um, What is our job? Our job is to be ready and alert. Every time Jesus talked about the end times, he says, make yourself ready. Be alert. 
we have got to get our lives right with the Lord. And I'm not saying your, your life is not. I'm just saying it's a good time to make sure that our heart is ready for the Lord. I mean, over and over, the bride prepares herself. It doesn't say that God prepares us, that we prepare our heart. Um, Matthew 24, 42, it says, be ready. In Matthew 25, 1 through 13, is, it talks about the virgins. There's 10 virgins with the lamps, remember? I'm not going to read it because time is almost up, but there's 10 virgins with oil in their lamp, and they're waiting for the bridegroom. Well, it says at midnight, he comes, and only five have oil, and five do not. And the five that don't have oil said, please, please, the other five. This says five were foolish, and five were wise. Please, please give me some oil. And they said, we don't have enough. But what I really think that means is somebody else cannot save somebody else. Like, my walk with the Lord and, and me being your pastor doesn't save you. It's your relationship with the Lord, right? Just like my parents can't save me. They can teach me. But we get to an age of accountability where it's our walk with the Lord and it's our oil that has to flow. And that is relationship with the Holy Spirit. Many people will come to Jesus and say, wait, wait, I prophesied in your name. I casted out demons. And Jesus says, but I didn't know you. That means we can do great works and have no relationship. And it's called religion. Religion does not save. Relationship with the Lord and I, I don't want this to put any fear in you. Like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what if I'm not saved? You know if you are, you know. You know, you hear the voice. Does this mean we have to live perfect? No, no. Does this mean you can have no sin in your life or you're not going to go? No. You know if your affection is for your Lord, right? You know. We're not perfect. He knows our weakness. We're not going to fully get it until he gets here, and we need each other. But I will say this. Will you stay humble? Will you allow people to speak into your life? Because we all have blind spots. Ben and I, we all have blind spots, and we need people to speak into our life. And when we speak into your life and somebody speaks in your life, will you not be offended? Will you lay down your pride and be teachable? And even if you don't agree... You can agree to disagree and still take it to the Lord, right? We need each other. It's not fun to be corrected. I know that. But I'm thankful for it. It makes me better and it upgrades me. And I want to tell you, as your pastors, we have given people permission to speak into our life. If we're going away, we shouldn't. If you see something in your life you don't agree with, we give you permission to correct us. We're not infallible. We're human, and we need each other. And that is so important. And that humility keeps the oil flowing, right? Pride, that pride, and we all have it. Revelations 3, in the marriage supper of Lamb, it talks about the bride made herself ready. 